Brown family, what's going on? It has been a minute. <laughs> I missed you. Did you miss me? Anyway, it has been a minute. I want to take everybody to get, you know, since it's been a minute, take your time. Normally, I rush you to get your libations, but today I want you to just take your time. Get your libations at your leisure. I will not rush you. If you want to get a snack, popcorn, M&Ms, whatever your pleasure, do that right now. I will wait um, until <laughs> I will wait until everybody gets settled, until you get what you need to get, because we have something very important to talk about tonight. I'm not going to talk about. I mean, the big news. You know what the big news was, Armin? Tell me what was the big news? The big news is wealth, black wealth, going to zero. Oh, tell very soon <laughs> by like 2053, and we're the only group. That did not, you know, I get an advance bigger, in income. I think that's a bigger news. Forget yeah, going to zero. We're, like really, we're I, really with 1700 now and that ain't no money. Yeah, no so money. we're already at zero. But everybody else figured out how to get their cut. Yeah. That's the problem. Yeah. And you know they're using it against us. See, people think this is a neutral game. No. No, when everybody else is winning and you're losing, they're winning because you're losing. They're winning because you're losing. It's baked into the pie, people. It's baked into the pie. And we're the only group that didn't get an increase, a bump in income since, you know, 2000. But that's the big news. We're going to kind of get the basis of that. But we're not going to get deep into that because we got some other stuff to talk about. Um, that's going to lead into that. So today will be sort of a teaser. And we got some good stuff that we're going to talk about. Some good stuff that we're going to deal with. But we're not going to go into the whole cake today. Now, what I want to say while everybody's getting their libations, doing what they got to do, we got to do what we got to do because we black. Anyway, so if you can, people, please donate to the channel. You can go to BreakingBrown.com and donate a one-time donation or a cyclical donation, which is like $3 a month, $5, $10, $15, or whatever that you can donate per month. Um, you can also go to DonateBrown.com and make a one-time donation. You can go. You can also go to breakingbrown.com and subscribe to the newsletter. Like if you subscribe to the newsletter, you understand what I'm talking about right now. Because all these articles I'm about to talk about, and the context that I'm about to to fill in was in Sunday's newsletter. A newsletter comes out every Sunday. I send it out every Sunday. News and links that I think are important to understand in politics, black politics, the political economy. Those are the, that's the newsletter every Sunday, two dollars a month. Okay. If you're watching this and you're new here, please, 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 please subscribe to the channel. Please like it. Please share it with your friends. Please share it in your groups. These are things that are important. I don't know how to say it. And you can go to subscribe to brown.com as well and subscribe um, just so you can be on my mailing list. Like when I wasn't here <laughs> last week because I was at, you know, I went, I went to Kentucky. I went to Louisville to, to you know. And then a tree fell on your house. And then a tree fell. Well, the tree fell on my parents' house. And so I, when I came back from the airport, I just went straight to the house. And, you know, to help them with the tree, it just decided to want to fall there. Isn't that something? Irma, tropical storm. You know I've never seen a tropical storm in my life. Anyway, but that's what happened. So now I am back, ladies and gentlemen, and we have a lot to talk about. We have a lot of political education to do. We have a lot of things that we need to take care of. And... You know, part of what's happened, a lot of people ask me, um, if it, where were you? What were you doing? You know, what were you doing with, 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 with Dr. Kevin Cosby at Simmons College and St. Stephen's Church? And, you know, I realize that I haven't given a context um, 
to who Dr. Cosby is, to, to what he represents, and pull that into, I don't go many places. I don't accept many invitations. So I wanted to pull that in and give you an idea of who he is, who the church is, because they're, 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 they're absolutely wonderful people. Um, and I enjoy my time there, and we're building there. That's the most important. We don't go, this is not the Congressional Black Caucus event, but we just go to party. <laughs> we're building something. And so Antonio Moore and I were both there. You can see my speech on my Facebook. You can see his speech on his Facebook page. We were both there. But I want to, you know, Dr. Cosby spoke at Muhammad Ali's um, memorial. And something he said there, I want to tie into something that I want to say here. Um, so, um, Armin, when you're ready, hit that for me. Right, and, and, and then we'll come back and I'll talk to you about it. It's known for two things is known for Muhammad Ali. It is known for the Kentucky Derby. We hope you will come back and visit our city the first Saturday in May. We hope you will place a bet on one of the horses. But if you do, please know the rules. What will happen is the horses will start off in the starting gate and then the signal will be given. They will run in the mud for two minutes and the winner will then be led to the winner's circle where a wreath of roses will be placed around the horse's neck. We want you to make a bet, but please know the rules. You cannot bet for the horse once it's in the winner's circle. You have to bet for the horse while it's still in the mud. And there are a lot of people there are a lot of people who will bet and have bet on Muhammad Ali when he was in the winner's circle. But the masses bet on him while he was still in the mud. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar stood with him when he was in the mud. Jim Brown stood with him when he was in the mud. Bill Russell stood with him when he was in the mud. Howard Cosell stood with him when he was in the mud. There was something very important that Dr. Cosby said there. Well, there were a lot of things very important, but one of the things he said is, you know, you don't bet on a horse while it's in the mud. You do bet, no, you do bet on a horse. You do not bet on a horse in the winter's circle. If a horse is in the winner's circle, it already won. You don't bet on this sure thing. You bet while it's in the mud. You don't bet after it's already crossed the finish line. You bet on a horse when you go to the derby. You bet while it's in the mud. Now the question that I'm going to pose today in the context of Sean Spicer and everything that's going on in black life is are you betting on African Americans? No, hold on. Are you betting on me? <laughs> no, I'm in the mud. Are you betting on me today? Are you betting on your fellow African Americans? Or, or are you betting on liberals? Are you betting on DACA in expense of yourself? Not like I'm good, I can do this and then do this. No, you can't do that. Because one of the things I want to get everybody to understand, it's almost as if I have to give a class on capitalism. 
Capitalism is vicious. The reason people have problems with capitalism, it pits people against each other. It's like making sharks fight. Like putting sharks in the water and throwing a bunch of chum in there. And you're a sardine. What do you think is going to happen? Now, I'm not saying what you need to be. The only thing I do here with you is ask you the questions. That's what I try to do. I try to provide some solutions and some answers. But more than that, I want to get you to thinking about this stuff for yourself. Because I want to be here, but I don't know if Yvette's going to always be here. Right? That's the problem. We have leaders. The leaders, you know, get killed or, or, or run off or whatever. And people don't know what to do. So let's get started thinking those questions. And I'm going to get to Sean Spicer. I'm going to get to Ta-Nehisi Coates. I'm going to get to all this stuff. But before I do that, I want you to think about who you're betting on. I want you to think about capitalism as a cage match. Because that's what it is. It's a cage match. And when you're in a cage match, when you're in Hunger Games, when you're in Lord of the Flies, you can't be thinking about people who have been set up to be your competition. It's not necessarily like something's wrong with these people or they're not good people or they're not nice people or they're not good people. They have been set up to oppose you. They have been set up to steal your cookies. They have been set up to take what you've got because it's a competition. Now, when you understand that capitalism is nothing but a death match, it's Hunger Games. Why are you at the Derby betting on a horse that's not your horse? <laughs> if you at the Derby, you got to bet on your horse. The first thing you got to know who your horse is. Your horse is other African-Americans. That's your horse. Now, you don't get to be in the mud with a horse and run around and make sure all the other jockeys are okay. Not where we are. Not based on what Army just talked about in terms of zero wealth, in terms of no income gain. You don't get to do that. You get to know your horse and bet on your horse every time. You cannot substitute anybody else for your horse. If your horse needs food, you cannot tell anybody else, I'm going to take food from my horse and give it to your horse because that means you lose. That's the basics of nutrition. It's the basis of everything we talk about. So in terms of that, Dr. Cosby, I want to take it in a, in a, the, I want to take it in a different direction. I need us to, first of all, people say, well, Yvette, what's the solution? The first of all, the thing before you, is, before you go and ask what the solution is, and we've talked about collectivism, and we've talked about all that, you have to understand who we are. And you have to understand that does not mean that we cannot combine forces with anybody who has our agenda. We can, and we can be friends. But these are my people, and that's my horse. You touch that horse, we're going to fight. You bother that horse, we're going to fight. You try to sabotage that horse, guess what? We're going to fight. That's my horse over there. And I can say stuff to that horse that you can't say. So, when I remember one of the things, let's transition a little bit. One of the things that I remember... When Trump came to office, I remember liberals and to some extent leftists saying that he is, he's a white supremacist. He's a Nazi. 
And these people say, I am the resistance. And we should not normalize Donald Trump. He is not like any other American president. He's not like you or me or anybody. He's not like Obama. He's not like Bush. We should not normalize him at all. We should freeze him out. I remember hearing that. Don't you remember hearing that, Army? Like Donald no. Trump was. Isn't that how, he was? how dare you talk about Donald Trump as if he's a president? How dare you? As if he's like Obama. He's not I'm the not same kind of thing. I'm not even gonna call him president. I'm not gonna. He's not my president. I'll call him 45. I'll call him 45. How dare he go to the White House? Yes. These people were called. You know what they're called. He's call. so different than any other. He's not presidential. No. He's not presidential. He's the most presidential white man we ever had in that office. <laughs> but you remember what they said? They said, people said they were the resistance. We are the resistance. And you should not. You cannot. You should not. Ever meet, meet with, with him. Meet with him. Because no. you are normalizing him. That's what they told us. Let me tell you something. <laughs> Do you know who's in the Emmys? <laughs> Do you know, what was it last night? Because I don't keep up. I was at my. We didn't have. We just got electricity on Friday. What was it like last night? The Emmys. What, what was it? I'm in, I'm Put up clip number two. Okay. All I know is little Sean Spicer was there. I'm in a PhD program. I don't. I don't. You know. don't keep up to I pop culture. Up. No, I don't. I'm sorry. You think black people don't have time for art? What? We can be artists and float <laughs> around and do all kind of stuff. Don't have nothing. Listen. <laughs> Sean Spicer was there, and look at what CNN said. They said Sean Spicer. Tries to clean up his battered image with a surprise Emmy appearance. Hold on. A battered appearance is like you had you made some mistakes while you were while you were White House press secretary. You didn't do necessarily what you needed to do. You made some mistakes. Um and you 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 you, you just bobbled everything. But that's not what y'all told me. Y'all told me this. Y'all told me that he was working for a racist, white supremacist, and he ought to be ashamed of himself. Y'all told me that when he was, well, um, April Ryan, when he told April Ryan to stop shaking her head, that that was a racist thing to do. He ought to be ashamed of himself, and he's erasing the long line of race. That's what y'all told me. That's what you told me, liberals. That's what African American liberals told me. That's what everybody told me. But all of a sudden, he's okay. We're normalizing Sean Spicer. We're having fun with him as if what happened didn't happen. Now, what you have to understand is that liberals are betting on Spicer, just like they bet on everybody else. Do you not understand? I turned on the TV today, MSNBC. I don't know why I made that mistake. I'm a glutton for punishment. I just wanted to see which way the propaganda was, was flowing. Maybe Joy Reid would be there telling us how much she loves Republicans now, like she did in the Vulture interview. I don't know. But I turned it on, and I saw Bill Crystal. If you remember during the Bush administration, Bill Crystal, William Crystal, was the one who went on every TV show telling us why we should invade Iraq. Do you not understand when you talk about where the money went Let's talk about budgets. We love to talk about stupid stuff about, well, I'm not doing this and I'm not doing that. I want to talk about budgets. If you're not talking about budgets, if you're not talking about money, if you're not talking about numbers, you're not talking my language. Budgets are being gutted partially because a lot of this money went to the Iraq war. Bill Crystal was all in favor of it on every TV show. Talking about how we need to invade Iraq. He was one of the ones who had Colin Powell over there with a bag of flour talking about it was anthrax, making a fool of himself. 
You see David Fromm who's talking about, oh my God, I'm so offended by this president. You wrote that you helped you help normalize torture for George W. Bush. All of y'all people are normalized, right? That's what's happening. That's what's happening. It's normal now. Y'all can just do, you know, these people who people talk about, liberals, who liberals talk about are so awful. These people are awful. They're all on TV and liberals ain't saying nothing. <laughs> these people are telling us how to think, what to think. They are commentators everywhere getting big checks. And nobody on MSNBC is saying anything. But you know who does still get mocked? Put up number four, Iron. Put up number four. Mm-hmm. You know, let me tell you who still gets mocked. There is one group. You can do anything for Trump. You can tell his lies, be his press secretary. You can be Bush's press secretary, cause loss of life. But what you can't do is be is be the Congressional Black Caucus or HBCU presidents. Because what happens when you're those people? Not only black people. White liberals hold you accountable. Why are you meeting with these people? He's a Nazi. You shouldn't meet with him. Who told you to do that? You you must be crazy. You must be out your mind. You must be a sellout for meeting with the president. I don't know what to tell you. I really don't know what to tell you. Congressional Black Caucus, Caucus leaders will meet today with Donald Trump despite pressure not to. Here's my question. Who are you to tell them not to meet with Trump? You, these same people who were telling, listen, we got to stop taking cues from other people. We look at the white gays and they say, well, Trump is not normalized. They marching in the streets. We got to say Trump. You don't take cues from anybody. We don't take cues from anybody. We don't have friends. We don't have permanent enemies. We do what we got to do when we got to do it. What was the point of that pressure? Because Sean Spicer is not a darling of the left. Not the left left. Not the socialist left. But these liberals. The same liberals who are walking around talking about we the resistance and he's not my president. Has Sean Spicer roll out with his whole setup and look regular and cute. Like he's normal. It's not serious to them. That's what it means. It's not serious to them. And you know what it means, Army? They're not worried about hookworms. They're not worried yeah, about... Yeah, it means that like, you got to stop. You got to stop taking advice from people who are okay and are going to always be okay. Yes. These people are going to be okay. They're never going to not be okay. They're the member of the elite. What are you listening to them for? I don't know what you're listening to Clinton... All these actors and actresses, Trump, anybody, anybody who is not you, doesn't have your lineage, your background, your struggle. Why are you listening? I don't care what Hollywood says. You had Deborah Messing from Will and Grace talking about how awful it was for her to be taxed or high or whatever. I don't care. As far as I'm concerned, you Trump. Yeah, or anybody very else. Very good. So, you know... Even with the Daily Show, I remember, I, I can remember, like years ago I watched the Daily Show. And I can remember when around I stopped watching and said, this is bullshit. I've, I've, I really stopped watching. I saw Eric Prince, who was a mercenary. Blackwater. Oh, yeah. There's a great Intercept article about how, how the awful stuff they were up to. 
Related to DeVos, but yeah. yeah. Yeah, they were they were talking to George Stewart, you know. Like it wasn't no thing. Oh yeah, we do this <laughs> and you do that and you know, we're gonna do our thing, we're gonna do and I said, Listen, none of these people really care about what's happening internationally, about what's happening domestically, and certainly about what's happening to Negroes. Right. Hey, you remember that whole episode John Stewart did on getting black people jobs? I don't even remember that. No, he didn't do that episode. <laughs> but I was like, like, oh no, no, no. That's the thing. Like <laughs> I was like, wait a minute, I missed something. No, John okay. Stewart never did an entire episode about you gotta watch out. Black people, we're not hiring him at the rates that we should. No, no. he never did that episode. No, he feels good because he got South African Trevor Noah as the as his replacement. Trevor Noah's got he got Trevor Noah got two brain cells and they fighting. I'm sorry. I don't mean to have to say it, but that's it. He got two brain cells and they punching each other out. He's not smart. He's just there to, he, why do you think, like, I said, why do you think they imported, we got a lot of African-American comedians in this country. Why do you think they imported Trevor Noah to be on Daily Show? We got a lot of African-Americans. He just moved here in 2011. Why do you think he's here? Because he's willing to do stuff that we're not able to do. Because we usually, black people, we usually have to come home and answer to a lot of our not the elite, but we, the majority of us, we have to answer our African-American people. And we can't do no cool stuff. We come home and be like, man, that was messed up what you did. You ain't got no family no more. People are like, man, you're cool. We're not allowed to even have our own comedy like that. Why is he there? Why is he in that space? This is the same person who said there's no problem with Obama taking money. Because, you know, he should get his money like everybody got their money. And y'all didn't criticize everybody else like that, even though we did criticize Hillary Clinton. It's just more ironic to say we didn't. But you don't care. You just talk. You don't read. So we mocked, you know, there's a second clip number four. I mean, there's two over there. But we mocked everybody from HB, HBCU presidents to Congressional Black Caucus. And the one thing that I would like to say is that we are, in a sense, preventing them from doing their jobs. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, because what you have to do regardless, the one thing I tried to share is that you got to show up. Now, the question isn't whether or not you show up in Trump's office or anybody else with power in the White House. The question is how you show up. Let me say that again. The question is not whether you show up. The question is how you show up. Are you going to show up and speak truth to power? Or are you going to show up and acquiesce and put your tail between your legs and run off? That is the question. Listen, there's no way you don't show up as an HBCU president for Trump. What I would try to do is say, hey, can we have this photo op after we meet? Because then I get to decide what kind of facial expression I want based on what happened in the meeting. (laughs) I'm not going to say I'm not going to come. I am going to determine the context of my visit to the White House to the extent that I can. But it is lazy and unserious that you're not coming. And all those people, see what I like to do, one of the things that I like to do, I like to go back and see what people were recommending for us and see if that thing worked. So what they were recommending is that we don't show up or if we do show up, we don't do a lot of stuff or, you know, or we just protest and we be silent. 
And one of the things that I see is it's like it don't it didn't work. The thing that worked, the thing that worked is showing up. Well, Sean Spicer <laughs> showed up. He showed up. He showed up on Trump's staff, and now he showed up at the Emmys. Yeah. 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 And you know who else showed up? You can clip number six when you get out. You know who else showed up? Can I tell you who else showed up? Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer showed up. <laughs> at the White House for, it was like dinner, I think, with Trump. I thought people, I thought liberals were saying, don't normalize him, don't meet with him. But they showed up with Trump and they got a deal on DACA. Now, now here's, this, is, <laughs> this is actually, they got a deal on DACA. Now, this is actually important because this is one thing that, um, this is, it comes up, it's a, it's a theme. Like, black people taking advice from white people that white people themselves don't take. Yeah. I feel like that's like, that's a theme. Like, we're, that's why we're more capitalistic and individualistic um, than, than, than the people who tell us that they're capitalists. And like, I, like, I feel like it's a, it's a consistent theme. And I want to say at home. They tell us to do stuff they never would do. They tell us to do stuff and they, they tell us how yeah. independent and they that, are. That, uh, uh, they, Latinos tell us to do stuff they never would do. We should meet with them. No. You think Gutierrez, that congressman from New York, that little shyster, you think he wouldn't meet with Trump over DACA and immigration? It's a trap. It's a trap. It's a trap. And it's a, it's a consistent trap. We fall for it, too. That's why you have black super capitalists. Yeah. Not just like, want to be super capitalists because they don't have capital. Yeah, they ain't super capitalists. <laughs> no, because super capitalists. You ain't fighting with Bezos. You better get somewhere and sit down. <laughs> you better get somewhere and sit down. He walk into a room. He walk into a room. You just like, I'm going to climb out the window. You're just going to climb out. I'm not going. You ain't got to worry about me no more. You ain't got I mean, I bet you even Oprah's got to be like, okay, Jeff. <laughs> Jeff Bezos. Of course she does. Yeah, oh, listen, listen, listen. Let me just take a side note. There's a reason why Oprah's still doing Weight Watcher stuff. <laughs> or what, what's she doing? What's she doing little sandwiches? I saw Oprah on some little show. And, I mean, some little thing. I guess it was an advertisement. And she was talking about, well, you know, I just eat these little sandwiches. And it's amazing how portion size, just something weird. And I'm thinking to myself, Oprah, you done did a thousand weight, weight shows on your show. You know portion. You're just doing this for money. Why don't you just like, who doesn't know that, that Oprah's just doing this stuff for cash? It's an easy infusion of cash. You think she don't know that little sandwiches is better than big sandwiches? <laughs> like, it's just basic stuff. She's had a train. It's someone who's run a marathon. You're going to be like, hey, you know, these little sandwiches. And people are like, oh, yeah, Oprah's. Don't bother me no more about your weight loss. I don't care no more. you like 60. I don't care whether you lose weight or not. You, I, I don't care no more. What's not my issue. I don't understand. What's she got money for? Like, what's, what's the end game? I don't understand. End game is un- just being Oprah. Like, you see how she had to be the Henrietta Lack? Why couldn't you just do a Henrietta I'm going all off, but I'm going to come back. Why couldn't you just do a Henrietta Lack story about Henrietta Lack? Why did you have to make it about you and the sister and them? And now even when you go to Kindle, it's her picture. Like, why did you got to do that? <laughs> you don't even get a real picture of Henrietta Lack. These people, Lacks. like, nobody knows that these people are narcissists. They're narcissists. They love themselves. Like everybody, including us, has convinced them, oh, Oprah, you so deep. You so spiritual, girl. You know about that thing you be doing, girl. I, I put up my vision wall, girl. Ooh, we. Oprah said something deep. Oprah ain't said nothing that your grandmama ain't said. So, I mean, you know, I, I, what I want to, what I really want to drive home is how, before I get to the next part, the way in which we have internalized white supremacy. Because we don't judge HBCU presidents. We don't judge the Congressional Black Caucus the same way we judge 
those people at the Emmys last night because we should have been in an uproar. Those of you who were in an uproar about the HBCU presidents, why were you not in an uproar over Nancy Pelosi and Schumer meeting with the president? Why were you not in an uproar when they normalized Sean Spicer? Why? Are you more comfortable mocking and making fun of African Americans than, than, yes. than, than white people? Yes. Is that something that comes naturally to you? No, the prison and the pipeline, like the, the school to he prison pipeline. He must have pipeline. done something. He wouldn't be in there. The school to prison pipeline starts early. Like, we just discipline in all aspects of life. This is like, you're the first to get fired. You're the first to get written up at work. Yeah. You're the first to get, like, in all aspects of personal and professional life, we're comfortable disciplining black people. Yeah. And, this and includes- as black people, we're comfortable disciplining other black people. Yes. But we're not com- comfortable saying those people in those nice, shiny suits at the Emmys and everything, y'all, y'all are really awful. Because just a few months ago, you were telling us how awful Trump was and everybody who worked with him was a Nazi. And now you laughing and drinking champagne. Y'all are garbage. And that's why people don't listen to you and why people shouldn't listen to you. I don't want to listen to you. Because, go ahead, Iron. Well, let's be honest. Now, black people did their job in 2016. Like... I'll say we all again. have a job. Black people did. I don't did. think I did mine, right? Well, you know, at least in November, we did our job in 2016 insofar as, like, we didn't elect Trump. No. So, who are these people telling and us? And you're going to tell us we can't meet with him. Listen, we did our, we did our, we did our job. Bumble. You don't tell us who to meet with. You go somewhere and sit down. 50 plus percent of white women voted for Trump. You don't get to tell nobody nothing. Go talk to your cousins. Yes, go talk to your cousins, your family. You don't get to tell us what to do, how to do it, or where to move, or how to move. And I wish you would try to tell me how to move or how to maneuver. Get your feelings hurt. Get your feelings hurt. Now listen, put up clip number five. We got another one. Because it wasn't just the Congressional Black Caucus. It wasn't just HBCU presidents. We had people who had been, and somebody in my Facebook point, if you look at my Facebook, somebody point this out. We had people who had been in hurricanes, black people, who had no leverage, nothing. And the most powerful man in America walks up, and they ain't supposed to act like they like him. If you don't have any leverage, that's the one thing you got is trying to get empathy. But we ain't even supposed to do that. But all these... All these liberals celebrating art and Emmys, they can do that. And we don't say anything. We got to become more comfortable criticizing these people. We got to stop only turning our, our, not only just our anger, but our critical eye towards ourselves as if we're the problem. You got to understand what they did. You know, and and, let, let Context is important. You got to understand that we're doing this. We're doing this in the context of. Put up clip number six, Iron. We're doing all of this in the context of a caste system. Remember the black jelly beans? <laughs> Remember Texaco in the 1990s? The black jelly beans fall to the bottom. We're doing this in the context of the study that the media wealth of black Americans will fall to zero in 2053. Zero. I want you to let that sink in. Zero. We will have nothing. Now understand one thing. Latinos won't hit zero until about 20 years later. So as people who have been here, built this country free labor, 
We're falling behind everybody. Latinos, white Asians, zero. That's zero wealth. I don't know who is teaching you or who is telling you everything is going to be all right. We have this thing where we believe no matter what, everything is going to be all right. Everything's not going to be all right if we don't get up and fight this fight. This is not going to be all right. How do you survive off zero wealth? How do you survive off zero intergenerational transfers of wealth? Vivo transfers. How do you survive off of that? You can't eat air. And in the midst of all of this, all of this awful news, back to back to back, this data that's coming out about African-Americans, in the midst of all of that, you know what I see? I see black people on the internet, on Facebook, talking about, well, we can't rebuild after hurricanes without undocumented immigrants. I'm not going to go on no tear. I'm going to just tell you, That if your kid don't have a job, if your kid is on your sofa, if your kid is back from college, mama, I can't find nothing. If your kid drives Uber or Lyft, if your kid doesn't have what he or she needs to compete, you don't get to talk about DACA or anything else except for the fact that my kid did everything right and my kid can't compete. My kid played the game that was supposed to be played and can't compete. My kid did everything right. I did everything right and my kid can't compete. It's not selfishness to be concerned about yourself. When you have been nothing but a person who contributed to this community, our ancestors built it. And now we have nothing. And we're about to be negative. We really have to say we'll fall to zero. That's a technical thing. We're at zero now, like I said at the beginning of the show. Yeah. We're at zero right now. You saw the thing where black women, you know, if you if you have a bunch of college debt and you don't have money that outweighs it, you're at zero. You're negative. Stop talking to me about black wealth and what it means. I know, and that's why I didn't want to hear anything about not my president. Everybody called me, well, Yvette, you're a shell-off. You're awful. I can't believe you like Trump. It's not about liking Trump. I understand power. And I understand in order to influence power, I need to be in the vicinity of power. I don't need to be at home. What they did was a trick. They told you to stay home while they went and met with the president. That's a trick. That's a scam. That's a con. And the question becomes, when are we going to start recognizing the cons instead of falling for the cons? And put up clip number seven for me. Um, we just we just going to show you what the con looked like. The con looked like telling me to stay home or pressuring me because nobody ever really tells African-Americans, don't you do it. But you just pressure me and you tell me how racist it is and you try to make me feel bad as if, like I said before, when did I say before we've had LBJ who used the N word? I talked to you before about how LBJ told a black man who worked for him. He said, do you want me to call you your name or do you want me to call you nigga? And the black man, the black butler who worked for LBJ said, I would, I would prefer if you call me my name. And LBJ said, listen, you're going to always be an N-word. It's best if you just understand that and let it roll off your back. As a matter of fact, said LBJ, why don't you just pretend like you a piece of furniture? That's what LBJ said. Now, LBJ, this is the same person 
who passed a lot of stuff after, you know, the assassination that was very good for black people. You don't get to not meet with racists as an African-American. Chances are a lot of people you don't think are racist are racist. You don't get to say, I'm not going to meet with you. What you get to do is to define the parameters and say, these are the conditions that I will meet with you. And when you get there, you get to be on point and say, this is what I have. Now I'm going to get to somebody else in a second. I'm going to get to Ta-Nehisi Coates. I know Antonio Moore did an article about it. And I thought it was very, if you haven't seen it, check it out. It's the Huffington Post. And I, but I read, I finally finished the Ta-Nehisi piece and I, I feel like there are some additional things that I, that, that need to be said. Um, when we're talking about who defines the conversation in America and how that conversation needs to be defined. And one of the things that I will say, if you put up clip number eight for me, Army, you know, there was a great article um, a while back at the Atlantic um, by Professor Timmon who said basically you need 20 years of nothing going wrong for upper mobility, which explains why 7 out of 10 African Americans fall, who were born into the middle class, 7 out of 10 fall into the lower class. It explains that. And he said he focuses on how the construction of class and race and racial prejudice have created a system that keeps members of the lower classes precisely where they are. He writes that the upper class of FTE workers who make up just one-fifth of the population has strategically pushed for policies such as relatively low minimum wages and business-friendly deregulation to bolster the economic success of groups, of some groups and not others, largely along racial lines. The choices made in the United States include keeping the low-wage sector quiet by mass incarceration, housing segregation, and disenfranchisement, Timmon writes. So what Timmon is saying is that you have this group, the top one-fifth, and you have everybody else. What I need you to understand, and please pay close attention to me, what I need you to understand is that these that, that, that Donald Trump and Sean Spicer are in a group with liberals. And we saw this before, and they're in the same group as Hillary Clinton. They're in the same group as these limousine liberals. They're in the same group. In the exact same group. There is no differentiation. I want you to hear me. There is no differentiation. These people are in it together. That's why they say stuff they don't mean. When they said Trump's a Nazi, he's awful. Anybody who works for him is awful. They obviously didn't mean it because Sean Spicer was up on stage. When these liberals said that Bush was awful and everybody who worked with him was awful, they obviously didn't mean it because David Frum is at the Atlantic. When these liberals said that George Bush is awful and everybody that worked for him is awful, they obviously didn't mean it because we got Bill Crystal at MSNBC. They don't mean what they're saying to you. This is how you manage power. This is how you manage the masses. We are being managed by these people, and it's time to stop. We owe them nothing. We owe them nothing. What we have to do is decide what our agenda is. 
what is our agenda and what are you going to do to support our agenda? That's the intersection. I don't owe you anything. And that is the problem. That is the problem with, with, with what I see in terms of Ta-Nehisi Coates. Now put up clip number nine because those of you, some of you may not have seen or read the Ta-Nehisi Coates article. And even if you did, I implore you um, to check it out. Please check it out. Because I want you, I want you more than anything, I'm not here to take down Coates or anything like that. I'm not trying to do that. But what I want you to do is get into the habit of just like, let's look at this, look at everything that we look at critically. Okay? I want you to do that. And I'm just going to slow down here because I want everybody to kind of, I want you to get a sense. Now I want you to look at that headline. I'm not going, I'm not going to tell you what to think. I'm not going to tell you what to believe. I want you to look at that headline for me. And I want you to tell me what is your takeaway from that headline? Ivan, did you read the piece? Uh, no. I, now, what's your takeaway from that headline? Then? Since you, that's the somehow Donald Trump is special, and we've never had a white president like like Donald Trump before. Okay, uh, that's my takeaway from the headline. I, I, I have my problems with coats, but um, yeah, that's like that. Donald Trump is exceptional in his yeah. ways, and that's what I would think if I saw that headline. Right, like Woodrow Wilson wasn't a white president, apparently. Yeah, or, and like how many other people? Like how many? It's almost as if like, and that leads you, you have to understand whatever you're dealing with and understand the suggestion that is being made. The suggestion that is being made here is that somehow Trump is exceptional. And then the suggestion that comes from that is if, if we get rid of Trump, we can go back to normalcy. Except normalcy was never good for African-Americans. Yeah. Hey, I got a question about that. Sure. No, really. Negro to Negro. Yvette Carnell. Do you think, I mean, do you really trust Bill Clinton? More than you trust Donald Trump, like no. in terms of like racial relate, like no, not at all. Like, I wouldn't trust them as far as I can throw either of them. Either yeah, of I, them. I don't want like, either of them out of my sight. Neither of them. Yeah, like, they, they can stay. They can stay in my my. If I had a, you can't stay at my house. I can't. If I can't see you, you can't be here. I don't trust them at all. Yeah. All right. So just just to be clear, like Donald Trump, not more racist than Bill Clinton. Not. No, it's just like you know what I you know what what I feel. Honestly, the Donald Trump is more honest. And he cannot break himself for whatever reason. He cannot bring himself to cow to anyone. So he's going to say whatever he's going to say and feel how he's going to feel. He don't care. But that's the most, like, that is the most honest incarnation of whiteness in terms of power. Not in terms of just, like, being white, but in terms of, like, power play. He, he, this is who he's always been. He comes from money. He is money. Bill Clinton came from, like, dirt. Right? Like, this guy comes from money. He don't want to have... It's kind of like... Remember John Kerry's wife, Hines, <laughs> Teresa Hines Kerry, yeah. who... There was one event where she was just like... Give a damn. And then she just stopped showing up because she can't do that. She can't make herself, like, be that person because it's not who she is. She knows I run this. And so I don't... I'm not going to do that for you. So, one of the things that, you know, I... I put this up on my Facebook page and somebody said something to the extent of... You know, I put up another article too because Tanahasi brought up somebody else, um, whose name I, I, the writer, Mr. Packer, and he, the person was like, "Well, this person is trying to tell Tanahasi how to be a black man," and I just need us to just like read carefully. I just need, I mean, because the whole article wasn't about that. There was a lot in that article, the essay that Tanahasi wrote, 
And some of it was good. And when you say, well, Yvette, what was good? Well, you know, some of it was good because Ta-Nehisi did point out how the left really doesn't want to deal with race as much as class. And I think that's still the case. Yes. I think, I think in terms of leftists, they don't really want to. And then, and then I read somebody, I, I was reading somebody who said, well, you know, Antifa and other people were out there in the streets in Charlottesville and, and they, have, they have been active in terms of African Americans. I agree. And I think they deserve, like, you know, the, the Democratic Socialists, all these people, these white people who have been out there, they deserve to get some accolades. I agree with that. But Tana still has a point. <laughs> Because what we have is people who want to erase race to a certain extent. Well, what does that mean, Yvette? What does that mean? Well, put up, put up clip number 10 for me, Aaron. Okay. When you get a chance. I'm, and I'm going to tell you what it means. I, I just got a, I found a picture of... Put it up, put it up. ...of uh, Donald Trump with black oh people. Oh, my. Oh, my. Oh, Who's my. That, is that Serena Williams? Oh, my. This is, I think this is from Antonio. Look, put that up. Yeah, put that up. Let's put that up. Serena. Let's see this. Now, this, now, hold on. Let me say something. Look at these people. I want you to take your time. Just relax yourself. Don't get yourself too enthused. These are black people with Trump, but I thought he was a racist. I thought he was awful. What you have to understand. They look like they're having a good time, too. They look like they're having fun. Yeah. What you have to understand is that it wasn't just other white people who normalized Trump. These people have been hanging out with Trump for a long time. It's rappers been talking about Donald Trump for a long time. He was in Bobby Brown's. If you go back, I actually saw this. Go back and watch On My Own, the Bobby Brown video. Really? On My Own, the Bobby Brown video from the Ghostbusters movie. Donald Trump's prominently placed. Donald Trump! Donald Trump hanging out with Bobby Brown in the 80s. He been hanging out with everybody black. And, that, and part of that, that's part of the reason that we don't understand or we had a hard time believing he's a racist or a white supremacist or whatever is because he's been hanging out with Negroes for a long time. But y'all don't want those people to own any part of what's happening here, right? They don't have any responsibility. Listen, either one or two things is true. Either Trump is not a racist or he is a racist and these niggas ain't shit. Which one is it? Okay? It could be a little bit of both. But what I'm telling you is the people that you're looking up to in terms of black celebrity have a series of problems of their own. They they are just like Trump. Some of these people, most of these people are bad people. A lot of these people are horrible people. They don't have any love for you or me. They just want to be a super capitalist, which means that they just want to be the ones to take advantage of black people. They don't want you to take advantage. They want to take How do you sit, Serena, Diddy? How do you sit next to a man who, if you're going to tell me this, if you're going to, you say he, the, the Central Park Five, I hadn't even heard of what Trump did with the Central Park Five until he ran for president. Y'all didn't tell me. Y'all didn't care. Diddy came out and said he's, he's a friend. Now the same person who said Trump is a friend, I admire his work ethic, is now doing what? Trying to sell us ice cream that he said he invented French vanilla or some craziness and that we got to support him. Wait a minute. You give Trump cover, then I'm supposed to come and buy your, buy your uh, vanilla liquor? What's the difference between me buy, buying your liquor and buying Grey Goose? Nothing, because you don't own it. <laughs> I owe you nothing. By the way, you know Diddy's liquor is not going to be market priced. He's going to mark up. He got to get his money. Yeah. You're going to have to mark that joint up. It's not going to go down as smooth. <laughs> <laughs> 
and I'll get you high. <laughs> I mean, just listen. What I'm trying to tell you is that you gotta, we gotta start. Get, first of all, we gotta start stop giving these people a pass. And like I said, you can read Antonio's more articles up at the Huffington Post where he goes, he delves, dives very deep into it. But we gotta stop giving these people a pass. And one of these people we gotta stop giving a pass. We gotta stop giving black writers a pass too. I had somebody say, well, you know. He's at the Atlantic, and that's wonderful. You know, and they give him a space. That's not good enough. <laughs> the fact they give somebody black a space to write on race is not good enough for me to give anybody a pass. So let me just give you, like I said, there's something. Put up, put up that, put up that. Oh. There's something in what Coates said, I'm, in terms of what he said about leftists, because what leftists will do, and this is Eugene Debs, if you don't know, and Eugene Debs said. Basically, he was, you know, socialist back in the day. And he basically said, well, we don't owe anything special to the Negroes. Now, keep in mind, he didn't say this to be mean. The belief on the left is that solidarity, we all move up together. And we all fight together. And we can get things by moving up together. But here is my problem, and hear me, black people. Hear me, African-American sinners of slaves, please. He's talking about equality. But what happens when equality is not equal to my contribution? Again, what happens when equality is not equal to my contribution? If I have people who worked here for free, Channel slavery for a number of years and then had redlining and then had mass incarceration and then had convict leasing. I don't just want equality anymore. I want an advantage. And the problem that I have with some people on the left, they don't want to do that. You will come out and fight with me and for me and I appreciate that. But you don't believe in an advantage for me and my people and that's problematic for me. Now... Back to Mr. Ta-Nehisi Coates. Well, no, I, uh, Go ahead, Irvin. No, about that. I think it's important to know that it's not just... I mean, the advantage that black people deserve... I mean, there's nothing to hold white people accountable. There's nothing to hold non-black people accountable. No. What if we don't all rise together? What if it doesn't work out that way? What if, as history has shown, that we when you lose. give poor white people money, what do they do? And they stomp us into the ground. They stomp us into the ground. <laughs> get out. I've been wanting to get away from these black people for a long time. <laughs> now I can finally now I can get away from you. Do it. Get, I can go and live with my rich cousins. I've been trying to get away yeah, from these black people. Yeah, for a long time. I know I talk. Now, like I wanted to be with you. I don't. I don't. I don't. I got my way out. I want to live. <laughs> Around white people. Other white people. No, no offense. <laughs> Peace. Now yeah. I got my nice gated community. I've been wanting to get in this gated community. I've been trying to live next to these Negroes forever now. So, like, why is it the case that we believe that when you give poor white people money, they all of a sudden become less racist? When actually, when you give poor white people money, their racism gets activated. Yeah, because they have power now. Now I got power. They ain't had no power before. Now it's just an impotent racist. Now I'm like, I'm a racist with, like... Dollar dollar bills. I got money. I got. Money. <laughs> and I don't like where I live. They break into stuff or something. I don't. I don't, I don't I like. You was up. <laughs> Not no more. You used to be. I used to be a lot of things. Now yeah. I have money. Yeah. Life has changed. Life has changed. And you know, black people, we're not good at that. Life just changing on us. Like life comes at you fast, and people change, and people switch up. 
We just like, well, I thought we was cool. <laughs> yeah, you used to be cool. I used to be a lot of things. Yeah, stop talking to me. Now I have <laughs> like, money instead. <laughs> yeah, that's what we don't deal with. What if all this goes wrong? Yeah. What if all this solidarity stuff goes wrong? Listen, part of my problem with Colts, and I'll say this in the article, is that he tried to, it almost seemed to me, render Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders on the same page. But here's what I will say. If the choices if the choices between Hillary Clinton's neoliberalism, Bernie Sanders sort of class politics, and a class politics that pays close attention to race and gives us reparations, I will take the last one. If I don't have a choice, if the last one is not on the table and we have not as African Americans put it on the table, I will take Bernie. I don't think there's a scenario that you will have me taking Hillary Clinton over Bernie. And Hillary Clinton's people were at the Emmys last night. The people who bundled and gave a bunch of money to Hillary Clinton were in there laughing at Sean Spicer do his bit. That's who Hillary Clinton's people are, and that's why I don't want them. Nowhere near power. <laughs> I will take a leftist every day. I have problems. Eugene Dales, we special. But I will take a leftist every day over a liberal. I'm just going to tell you. And so... That's kind of, you know, that's kind of the frame. And you look, go back to that picture. I mean, go back to that picture of Obama. I mean, Lord, Obama, is Obama talking about me? Go back to that picture of um, Ta-Nehisi Coates' article. Okay. And I want you to look at one other thing. Because I told you to look at the headline. But let's just dissect this for a second, shall we? We're going to go to the phones in a minute. But let's just dissect this for a second. Look, I want you to look right now. Don't just look at the headline. I want you to look at the subheadline. We've talked about we've talked about Obama a lot of times on this show. I want you to look at this subheadline, and it says the foundation of Donald Trump's presidency is negation of Barack Obama's legacy. He don't have a legacy for black people. But what you're trying to do is juxtapose Trump against Obama when both of these people work for the elite. Hey, no, 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 no. Let me rephrase that. Trump is the elite. Obama works for the elite. What is the juxtaposition? Who do you think cut like 800 billion in food stamps? That was not Trump. That was Obama. Who do you think is out there right now getting money from wealth management firms? And talking about, and then the person who his spokesperson now said, well, he's going to give money to a jobs program for black people. Guess what? That's some stuff you do when you actually have power, like when you're the president. Stop feeding me garbage. This I have a problem with because most people don't even read this. They just read the headline and the little subheadline. Trump is not a negation of Obama. Obama's one of the people that work for Trump. <laughs> That's who he is. He's just a hired hand. And I need Tanahasi to stop trying to be Jay-Z. Stop saying the nigga president said nigga that was Jay-Z. Just stop it. Stop trying to stop trying to emulate hip hop. And see, you know. And I'm just going to go through this really quickly because I really want to get to the phones because I know I haven't talked to you all in a while. But let me just say this. I want to give you a couple of quotes about some problems that I, and, and I, that I had with the article. And the one quote from Tanaha said, Indeed, indeed, the alleged glee with which liberals call out Trump's bigotry is a sign even more power than the bigotry itself. You know, I have never, I have never seen that. What I said was in response to this, 
And you can sit on my Facebook if you if you if you if you're there. Again, no. Liberals are rightly are rightly have rightly eviscerated the 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 they have rightly eviscerated these people, these Democrats, Hillary Clinton, for 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 a fixation on individual racism as opposed to systemic racism, classism, and policies that devalue American citizenship and thwart upward mobility. It's hard to understand how Coke so thoroughly misunderstands American politics and political thought. And there's one point where Coke says the left would much rather have a discussion about class struggles, which might entice the white working masses instead of about the racist struggles that that those masses have historically been the agents and beneficiaries of. True. That is partially true. But there's something else that Coates misses. We're entering into a new era where even the global elite are not as much as they used to noblizing these white working class people. Now this is from the National Review. This is a Republican magazine in terms of what they wrote about white working class people. And, they, and the writer writes as follows, the truth about these dysfunctional downscale communities is that they deserve to die. Economically, these are negative assets. Morally, they are indefensible. Forget, forget all your cheap theatrical Bruce Springsteen crap. Forget your sanctimony about the, the struggling Rust Belt factory towns and your conspiracy theories about the wily oriental stealing jobs. Forget about goddamn gypsism and... If he has a problem with it, forget Ed Burke too. The the white American underclass is enthralled to a vicious, selfish culture whose main products are misery and use heroin needles. Donald Trump's speeches make them feel good. So does Oxycontin. What they need isn't analgesic, liberal or political. They need real opportunity, which means they need real change, which means they need a U-Haul. This is what white people said about all the white people. The global elite is different. They would much rather go and get, they can go to the elsewhere, whether it be Mexico or anywhere else, and get cheap labor. They don't need that anymore. What I'm saying is that there's a shift that it seems that Coates has not stayed stead with. Um, and, and he talks about you know, black voters and, and how, you know, only the idea of a long-suffering white working class can get people to move. And what I say is this is only partially true. This is partially true. We know about white privilege. But the, but the other truth is that working class whites made their votes count by rejecting everyone but the anti-establishment candidate. They chose the right-wing populace. We should have chose the left-wing populace. We do have some agency, not enough, but we do have some. And that's important. So, I, I, you know, this is, when you think about it, when you think about it, Colts kind of dropped the ball. Even when he did my president, like, it's funny, like, it's almost like somebody gave him this, said, write something about your president being white. Because you said, you wrote my president is black. And, and, and even if you look at that, at that Colts essay, what Colts basically does is say, well, you know, um, I went to this 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 event with with, with Obama and 
It was so many wonderful black people there. And when I met Obama, I was insecure and I couldn't do it. Listen, there's no way Obama can make me insecure. Obama, you are a child of you. You are a child of a white woman and a Kenyan. As an African American, you can't do nothing to make me insecure. I'm an insider right here. You 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 better carve out a space. And so there's something in him, in Coach, that is insecure. Or and wasn't it kind ready. of enables him, handicaps him. He just wasn't ready. He wasn't ready. He wasn't ready. But why you wasn't ready? Yeah, I know, right? Why you wasn't ready? How long you been writing? And it, one, one of the things, before I go to the phones, one of the things I want to point out is that, and I'm, just, I'm not going to spend much time with this, but one of the things when I think about Obama, when he says the legacy of Obama, and you all can disagree. I'm fine with everybody disagreeing. But one of the legacies of Obama for me is tying us to this people of color stuff. So nobody differentiates African Americans from any other group. I'm telling you, every study I read says people of color. It says African Americans and Latinos live in poor neighborhoods. And you put us in that box. And part of that comes from birtherism. And people say, well, birtherism was just racism. No, 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 no. I'm not saying racism wasn't a part of it, but that's a lie. Birtherism was part of, was 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 about race, and it was about largely about Obama's heritage. It was about where was he from, and can we count on him to be authentically American? Now you say, well, what do you mean, Yvette? Well, answer me something. If there had been an African American president named Leroy Jenkins, would they have been able to use a Bertha argument against him? No, he's Leroy Jenkins. His grandmama lived off Forty Fifth Street. He got great grandparents here. He come from slaves. You can't tell him he's not American. So we spent a large part of Obama's presidency fighting an immigrant issue as opposed to fighting on behalf of an African-American issue. And I think it's time to let that go. I think it's time to kind of move away from that and see Obama as some kind of weird anomaly. And he is a weird anomaly. He's a weird anomaly. That's who he is. He's not representative of us. It's time to move on from him except for understanding how we can correct our own politics after having had him here. And, you know, there was somebody, when I talk about liberals and Hollywood liberals, you know, get clip number 10 ready, Ivy. There was somebody in our past, you know, we can't listen to everything that our people have, you know, even our best leaders have said because sometimes life moves on. And, like, King and others could not have imagined, I don't think, this world that we live in in terms of super capitalism, commerce, and globalism, all of that. But sometimes you got to take what's right and what's real and what rings true. Um, and you can make it big. You can, and, and you got to understand it. And you got to put it into play. And you have to say, this thing right here is still relevant. And um, I, think, I, think, I, think that's what we, I think that's what we have to do. And I think we have to take lessons and we have to be discerning enough not to take everything from people who've come, but we got to take something. And that's the case with this clip right here. So play that, play that clip for Mary when you, when you, when you get it ready. I, 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 I want you to understand what this means. Being friendly and being a friend, I think, are two different things. I think there are many whites who act friendly toward Negroes. A fox acts, acts friendly toward the lamb. And usually the fox is the one who ends up with the lamb chop on his plate. Mm -hmm. The wolf doesn't act friendly. And therefore the wolf has more difficulty in getting the lamb chop in his plate. I'd like to point out, though, that... I, 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 I say that because 
It is usually the, if you study the structure of the Negro community, economically, politically, civically, psychologically, and otherwise, it's controlled by the white liberal mm -hmm. who usually poses as the friend of the Negro, who actually differs from the white conservative in, in the same way that the fox differs from the wolf. Uh, their appetite is the same. Their motives are the same. It's only their mannerisms and, and methods that differ. I would being friendly and being a friend, I think, are two different things. I think there are many whites who act friendly toward Negroes. A fox acts. I saw some. I saw some. I'm gonna be. I'm gonna be nasty. Somebody come and say, "Where did you go?" And tell me, Malcolm. Where did you go, Malcolm? Ask Farrakhan. Anyway. Ooh. Anyway. Hey, man, I want to live. <laughs> anyway, I what I was live. saying. What I was saying. What I was saying is that foxes and wolves. That Democrats. That fox. Then it doesn't mean that Democrat doesn't give you a little bit of something that you need to keep you, to keep you right there in that space. That doesn't mean the Democrat is not a little bit better in terms of your politics than that wolf. It doesn't mean that. But you got to understand that the wolf and the fox are both predators. The wolf and that fox are both predators. And they both got the same game. Their both game is to eat you. The game is still for you to be prey. And I'm, 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 I'm scratching my mind. I'm trying to figure it out. But I don't see anything that would lead me to believe that something has changed. Now, if you ask me, well, Yvette, what are you saying? Are you saying that we should be enemies, Democrats and Republicans? No, I'm not telling you to be enemies to any parties. What I am telling you, however, is to put your own interests first and begin to understand where your interests intersect with other groups. I don't care who the group is. Stop telling me what your party name is. I don't care. I don't care why well, I call myself a Democrat. I call myself a Republican. I call myself independent. I call myself Green Party. I call myself Libertarian. Tell me where we intersect. You know, that was something a while back about the Tea Party. Um, and the NAACP both agreed that they wanted to shut down the prison. The Tea Party wanted to shut it down because it was too expensive. The, the, the NAACP wanted to shut it down because it was racist. And it was incarcerating too many black people, innocent, nonviolent, all of that. But still, we're talking about interests intersecting. That's fine. That's wonderful. It don't matter to me. I don't care. I'm not going to say I'm not going to sit down with you. I'm not going to do that. I'm never going to do that. So I think that's what we have to do. I think that's what we have to do. We have Hurricane Harvey. We still see people get evicted. You know, who live in housing projects. Same thing happened after Katrina. We got this wealth. We got all these problems. And what are we doing? Section 8, you know, landlords get to decide. Landlords get to decide what happens with Section 8. And whether or not they take Section 8. We shouldn't have landlords in charge of that. Or we should just have places where the government just builds good housing. This is stuff that we need to talk about instead. What are we doing? What are we building? Stop just asking what are we doing? What are we building? And how can we not talking about a bailout? 
Yeah. We should be bailing out those renters. Yes. Harvey, Irma, we should be, I mean, especially, we should be having that conversation. Why were you building on that land? Why is it the only land that black people could afford in Houston? It's a lot of stuff we need to talk about. <laughs> and, you know, a lot of people understood it. Put up that, put up, put up, um, put up that, 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 um, that Dubois. Yeah. I, th- I think, I think, I think now is the time. And then we're going to go to the phones. But now is the time to really talk about the ancestors. Um, and what they understood versus what we don't understand. This one? Yeah. Right. You know, now is the time to talk about it. They got some stuff that we just don't get anymore. Because we think we white. But we got to come out of that. We're not. We're in the mud. Like when I started out, you know, with the Cosby clip, we in the mud. And it's time for us to bet on ourselves because ain't nobody else betting on us. And the Dubois quote said, may God write us as asses if ever we again are found putting our trust in either the Republicans or the Democratic Party. That's 1922. Who are you trusting? Who is leading you? Are you making your own assessments? Are other people making assessments for you? Are you committed to a gaze? To a group that does not care about you and is more privileged than you. You have to get into a point where you trust yourself. No, I, I think this is where Cornel West actually had it right when he said there's a bipartisan consensus. That's that, true. That poor black people don't matter. Yeah. And let's be honest. It's not even bipartisan. To, it's just buy everything. <laughs> it's not, you don't even have to say poor black people because like, if you look at the numbers, it's just black people. Yeah, he, that's why I said Because black people who aren't wrong. poor can't, can't have to go along with that because everybody they're around is poor. Yeah. So it's a bipartisan consensus that black people don't matter. Yeah, that's true. So we got to change our politics. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know. We got to make ourselves matter. Uh, that means we got to start shutting things down. I don't know. But, like, we have to make ourselves matter and let it be known that, you know, America won't run right without us. Yeah. I think. And, and, it, and, and, and it, you, you have to make it not one right. Yeah. You can't just be like, it ain't going to run right. You got to be like, no. Like, <laughs> the, the thing is, people are like, oh, Yvette, you're anti-immigrant. No, tell me. Listen, this is what somebody has to explain to me. In a country where you have a lot of people unemployed or underemployed, why do we need new labor coming in every day? The only reason you can tell me that we need new labor coming in every day is if you want to undercut the labor that already exists in this in this country you want to pay that labor nothing or close to nothing that's the only way you can make that argument to me is if you don't want to pay american wages so you want to bring in desperate people and let me tell you something it's not good for desperate people to be taken advantage of that's not a good thing so i don't know how all these people are in favor of of the current immigration setup knowing that these people you gotta know that these people are going to be taken advantage of how is that okay? So, you know, we're about to get to the phone, so give us a call. Did you put the phone on my mind? Yeah, give sure. us a call. We're going to go to the phones. I want to hear what you all have to say um, about what we missed out on. I mean, it's a lot been going on. It's a lot been going on. And I just want to hear. I want to know what's been going I mean, I missed a lot of news. I missed a lot of news. You know? This is stuff that's been, I, wa- I want to hear what everybody has to say because, I mean, that's the only way. I mean. So, yeah, let's go ahead. Uh-oh. Did you pull something? No, I didn't. I didn't I hey, what's up, Yvette? You know, I told you 
call in today to show a little support. Call it up. Um, I just wanted huh? to run through some things. This is Antonio Moore, Tone Talk. Good. You know, I did defeat Donald Trump wasn't our first white president. He won't be our last and answer the time the Hazy Coast BS. But, uh, you know, I, I just want, wanted to say first, first and foremost, a shout out to Dr. Kevin Cosby. You know, he's a, he's a powerful speaker. This Angela project is going to get moving. And, and, you know, it's church oriented. And everybody should just look it up. Look up a vet speech and my speech. That was a, it was a great thing to be part of in St. Louis. Don't you agree, Yvette? Oh, I agree wholeheartedly. Yeah, and also I have a, I have a radio show that will be on Dash Radio. You can download the application. Dash Talk is what you press. They'll be starting October 6th, and it'll be 7 to 9 West Coast time, a little late for East Coast, you know, of course, but 7 to 9 West Coast time, and I'll be on there talking that talk just like Yvette does here. But to get right to it, we got to start off understanding that part of what's going on to me is that that white America wants to demonize Trump to escape whiteness while keeping the benefits of whiteness. When I say escape, escape the, the parts where they say he's the evil one, he's the mean one, but then they get all the inheritance the same way. You know, one of the things that came out in my interview with Shapiro, and I said this in my video, is that, you know, white privilege digs like 70, 80% into the race. I mean, it, their race as a whole isn't just poor the way that we create this narrative. And, you know, top 30% is worth two, is worth 350 or more, top 20% worth 500 or more, top 10% worth a million four or more. And all of that is undergirded by so much racial advantage and racial oppression. Uh -huh. And I think for a lot of us, what we're starting to create is a he-man, skeletal version of argument mm -hmm. about Obama and Trump. Obama is not your he-man. Ain't no talisman, ain't no amulet, ain't no green energy going to make it no better, no worse. You got to look at the data and come out with a, a reality that Obama gave us nothing. He gave us 1.8% of FDA loans. He got 8% under Bush. Come on, man. And I think for a lot of us, what we do is we don't look at the fact that black homeownership is at a 50-year low now yep. after a black president, that we have Uber, that we have all, we have race to the top where all these black teachers lost their jobs. Even the Muslim ban, those are Obama's countries that he picked. Yep. And I think for a lot of and this is not about being supportive of Trump. This is about being honest about how Trump came to be. Pull up that picture again for me, Army. Uh, I'm sorry. Um, and what, what you see is that black celebrity, they branded this man in black people's heads. Ask yourself, when they said Donald Trump is running for office, how long did it take you to know who he was? And you can say, oh, that's because of the apprentice show. No, you knew him before the apprentice show. Because huh? Puffy made sure you knew who he was. He got, you can find the young pictures and the old pictures of Puffy with, with Donald Trump. Serena Williams danced the night away with him at his New Year's Eve party. Ooh. Not at some general party <laughs> where she randomly saw him. She came to his New Year's Eve party. And for those people that don't know, generally that comes because you're going to get a check or something like that. I don't know about that, that she got a check. A lot of times celebrity appearances, here's a check for coming. He's been plotting and planning this for a long time, and black people been in on it. Mm. And if we really thought he was a racist, why was it, where was that? And that's the piece that kind of how he coached him to write. But he can't write that piece because he's not black enough. Oh. I'm counting in about how this man knows somebody who got stuff. I want stuff. We keep hearing about secondary experiences of privileged, kind of like weak-washed black people telling us about how black they are. And then you look at their story and it ain't that black. It's real. It's real. I went to school and I kind of saw somebody who got shot down. No, tell me about your brother, your cousin, the person that you know, not... 
from a distance so that white people see you through a black lens. I want to say this as I close up, that Zero Wealth article that came out, those are my people, Chuck Collins, Josh Hosty. You can look on Facebook. They do great work. One of the things that we have to understand is by the middle of the, of the, of the, of the 21st century, black people, black families will be worth zero. But we already worth zero. I keep telling you guys that if you don't wake up, you're going to wake up outside. And some people already found that out with art. And then what's happening right now is that we're trying to create a movement. And you won't either be ownership or not, but we're going to create this movement. Angela Project, Breaking Brown, Tone Talk. Last thing I want to say is that we got to get to this point. You know, I always hear you talking about the, the contribution of black people. No, 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 no. Let's talk about the cost of slavery. These people that come from these other countries didn't come from chattel slavery. It's in your family. When you go to talk to your cousin and your, uh, and your brother, and your, you don't realize how much of slavery is in their comments and why you so confused. And we don't really want to deal with the fact that you got to give me what you owe me because you messed up a whole lot of my family life. Yeah. And I, I think we create a narrative, you know, we don't remember that. There is nothing but two races, black and white. What's happening to other groups, birtherism is ethnicism. It's not racism. It's ethnicism. That's not the same. Racism comes distinctive for descendants of slaves from Jim Crow going back. It's not this new thing that we see. And because we can't see things in a definitive way, what's happening is that we're smashing everything together and allowing our lineage, our struggle, to be lost in the mix. That's all I wanted to say, you know? Appreciate it, Antonio. Thank you. Oh, good Lord. Antonio was fired up. Yeah. <laughs> Gotta tell you, it's complicated. And, like, Ta-Nehisi Coates is not black enough? Oh, That's hard to... Well, no, I mean, because he was born in the U.S., born a descendant of slaves. Yeah, but you know, a lot of people be trying to talk that tough talk. Like, a lot of people be talking about, yeah, in the hood, and it's just like, and yeah. like, it's just like, yeah, but like, I don't talk, I never, t- I never, I never kind of piggyback on anyone else's story. And I never try to talk about a life that I didn't live. In the, you know, I just don't do, I mean, I tell people who, you know, what my parents did, who they are. I, I think, so I just, I, I never do that. And I see a lot of people, what they try to do is they'll talk about stories of other black people as if they're their stories. And it's very interesting. But yeah, that was, that, that was, that was a great, that was a great, that was a great call, Antonio. Appreciate yeah. it. So let's, let's get to the next one. Oh, let's do it. Somebody said the mentality isn't black enough. I can't. Huh? Hey, caller. Good evening, good evening, good evening. Hey. hey, how are you guys doing? Pretty good, how about you? All right, oh, it's, it's, I'm all right. It's just so much that I always like to listen to you guys. Antonio, man, you are. Antonio, we shaking you to your core. Uh-huh. Um, well, I, I think, I think, um, all right, so in 1998, Donald Trump was interviewed by People Magazine. Mm. And he was asked by the editorial staff there, would he ever consider running for president? This is circa 1998. And I want you to listen to his response. He says, if I were to run, if I were to ever run for president of the United States, I would run as a Republican. Mm -hmm. Why? Because they're the dumbest group of voters 
in the country. They believe anything on Fox News, I could lie and they still eat it up. I bet my numbers would be terrific. Now, the reason why I'm pointing out this is because I don't think the real question to ask is Donald Trump or white supremacist. Mm-hmm. I don't think, you know, uh, or that he's the first white president or whatever that what Mr. Coates. I understand what Mr. Coates is trying to say and juxtaposing Trump's rise against the backdrop of uh, negation of uh, uh, Barack Obama. I understand it's a wordplay, but I, I think it's, it's not all that convincing. But I think whether or not he's a white supremacist, whether or not he's racist, that is really irrelevant because there has been tremendous harm done by benefactors of white supremacy. You don't have to be a white supremacist to be a benefactor of white supremacy Mm. and act just as ignorant as the people uh, who self-avow to be that. Mm. Now, when Antonio was on the, the line a minute ago, he made mention of, he talked about, you know, Puffy and all these guys. And I think it, on his show, he talked about almost 60, 7, 68 songs that reference Donald yeah. Trump. And um, I, I, I reference Donald Trump in some that ways song. bragging, I'm like Trump, I'm this, I'm that. Yeah. And I think, Yvette, this is a picture, I think you have, you have alluded to this several times in your show, but I think this is a perfect example of what Fred Hampton's Negro imperialist looks like. Mm. Um, we have accepted uh, our idea of success has been framed for us by white people in every shape imaginable. Trump was a brand that was synonymous with success. And, and all before he rose, wanted to be a part of that type of success. So we used, Trump became the adjective, the acronym, the analogy uh, to be used for, you know, we're balling now. We're all of that, you know, we're trumping and all that stuff. But it, we really didn't realize that we really could never be Trump. Even if you become Jay-Z or Oprah, you could never be Trump. You can never be trained. You can never have a daddy who was a millionaire who no. gave, you know, all his money to you. And you, you can never really be that. You know, you can never, you can never, you, you can never be the clothes you have on your back. You can never be uh, Versace. You can never be Tommy Hilfiger. You can never be Ralph Lauren. You can never be any of that. You might be Floyd Mayweather and ride around with a $250,000 Hermes bag, but you can never really be Hermes. Oh, you know, so it 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 is 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 we don't have. I mean, what is freedom here? And, and I have. To, I mean, what what is freedom? Now, I end with this. There is there is a lot. There is this. When I first start come, you know, calling in your show, I made something. I made a comment about the white dean at the University of Mississippi when he said that black people when they were debating the Civil Rights Act of '64. And he said, if, if niggas want civil rights, then let them eat them as crumbs off the floor from the white man's table. Well, I believe what he was saying there is that all black people are ever going to get out of this, 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 this traditional Democrat and Republican politics is crumbs. That's all we're going to get. Barack Obama destroyed any faith that you could have had in politics. Because if you hinge your belief 
on the fact that if we could only get a black man in office, even though he's not black, but that's another conversation. If we could only get a black man in office, well, how did that work out for you? Yeah. yeah. How, how did it work out for you? How, what, what is your life looking like now? And so what's the difference between Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton? One calls you a nigger with words, but the other one calls you a nigger with their policies. And I'm much more, you know, mass incarceration, all that stuff. But white people have been calling black people niggers with their policies for a very long time. And so I'm much less concerned about a racial slur being used by the president, by an elected official, by anybody. What are your policies calling me? Am I? Does your policies cast me as the nigger you truly uh, uh, feel me to be? I would much rather know a person by their policies than by what comes out their mouth. I don't really care about, you know, I think all white people think I'm a nigger, so I don't really care about that. I'm more concerned about what you calling me with your policies. That's it. You can call me nigger all day. You call me nigger all day, but as long as your policies treat me like the next person and render me what's due, then I'm fine. And that was Thank you, guys. Good. Thank you. Thank I appreciate you. it. That was I appreciate much, it. That was LBJ. Right. Man, let me tell you. Yeah, that was LBJ. You can have an Air Mage bag, but you would never be Air Mage. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> That's what we were talking about in terms of Diddy, right? In terms of that Ciroc. The company that actually produces and distributes that Ciroc produces and distributes hundreds of other, like at least like 200 other liquors. And, and it starts like in the 1600s, a bunch of them, 16, 1780s. You can't beat them because during the time where they, were in, where they were becoming that thing, your people were slaves. So you can't do that. But you keep trying to mimic that in a way that helps you misunderstand that that's not possible for you. Go ahead, Ar. And this is important because when Beyonce says you could be the next Bill Gates in the making. Honey, you ain't. So you, you know. were never going to be. You yeah. were never going to be. And we've talked about Bill Gates' history. Big, uh, Read like, outliers. And I'm, this isn't a dig on you. No, you this didn't do just, it. This was just like the fact of your life. You were never going to the be the next. The fact of your life and your legacy and your Bill lady. Gates because you were never going to be born to Bill Gates. This, His parents. <laughs> and first of all, intellectual hold on, property hold par- on, a lawyer before, parents. Before yeah. we say you were never going to be going born to Bill Gates' parents, let's not even talk about the wealth and the money. You would never be go- you were never going to be born to white people. That's the first step. The first step to being Bill Gates is before you get the intellectual property attorney who's your daddy, before you get to the private school where y'all had access to supercomputers, you would have to be born to a white man and a white woman. That's not your life. Period. So let's go to the and next that's topic. Fine. And that's fine. But the problem Understand is... Understand who you are. Telling people that that's their life or that's their possibility screws up our politics. Yeah. It screws up our demands for what we are doing. No, we think we, think we can. We think you can. You No. You are not, you're not white. You're not witch, you're not so much stuff had to happen right for it to happen for you. Right. So, so let's go to the next caller. Right, Ooh, you can have an air maze bag. You'll never be air maze. No, you were never going to be because to be It wasn't never gonna happen. You had to be born from <laughs> Good evening. Good evening, how are you? I'm well. Hi, Ben. Hi, Army. This is Lisa Bugs. I'm using the full name from Jacksonville, Florida. Oh. 
Um, want to let you know that I love the show, and the things that Thank you, you talk about are things that my grandmother talked about mm. um, years ago, and she said the worst thing to happen in the black community was really um, when we allowed the schools to just really uh, desegregate, and when she talked about the fact that, you know, here we are um, integrating, it was the worst thing to happen to the black community. Um, because before we had our own churches, I mean, we had our own banks, we had our own schools, and the schools, what they talked about is they didn't want us going to school with white people. They wanted us just to have the right buildings, the right textbooks. We wanted heat in the buildings, uh, just as the white students had. And what you talk about is the same thing that's going on now. That happened decades and decades ago. Thank you so much for the work that you, you do. I appreciate you. Well, thank you. The you know, and 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 separate but equal was not equal. Yeah, we were um, never going to get the yeah. And, but and you, the but you think about it, right? Like, remember, yeah. they were starting to give more money to blacks because they didn't want you to come over here. <laughs> so, so you you know, just as a thought experiment, sometimes I wonder, like, what would have happened if they had fully funded? But you know, but that but that's that never was going to happen. Works. Yeah, that's, that's not, not that's not how race works. That's not how race in America works. They were and, never going to fully fund black schools. The problem is, what would have happened had we fought for black teachers? Yeah, and, and black administrators. And black we administrators. We need all of them. Yeah. Because without black administrators, then you just you just you just destroy black teachers too. Yeah. Right. So so you know the question to me kind of becomes what if we had could have been able to do it do it right? And the question let's let's go back further than that. Let's go the all the way. Let's go yeah. back further than that. Yeah. What if instead of like you know 1965. If we had gotten our civil rights in 1865, like real civil rights. Oh, yeah, real protections. We'd have been bill. in there. Yeah, like, then fine. you could really be talking about some real stuff. Then you could really be talking about some real wealth. Because we could have been in there. Like, we're talking 1965, and then it still didn't really happen. But what if we had gotten the right to vote, the right to access property, the right to, like, people not stealing from us? Like, what when you think about what that would look like, then we could have had some black institutions with some money that would still be black. Yeah, well, here's but that's kind of what needed to happen. We had the Freedmen's Bureau for about 10 years, and white people decided they didn't like it. When they and don't then like that it, they just destroy it. We just we just put a torch to it. So like, like when I say that the South won the the Civil War politically, that's what I mean. As soon as we as soon as we gave up the Freedmen's Bureau, as soon as we, at the end of Reconstruction, South won. Yeah, South won because we pretty much said, well, now there's nobody stop you from lynching them. Yeah, we're gonna like, just leave. We're, we're gonna just rejoin all our federal troops and stuff, and good luck. What y'all do. And you know what? We got lynched. And let me tell you something. Yeah, we some of the black Republicans that I've met, yeah. they're still pissed about it. Like some black Republicans, like all black Republicans ain't sell out. Some black Republicans are pissed. Like why would I be a member? Like, the, like why would I like the government when the government left us to be murdered? And it, they left <laughs> us to be murdered and terrorized. Yep. Well, I have the receipts, the evidence. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Left us to be terrorized. You know, I'm going to bring that up and read it after this call. Yeah. So... Next, we can go to the next call. Crazy. Yeah. The stuff that's happened to us in this country, man. You're on, caller. Hey, caller, what's your name? Where you calling from? Hello, I'm calling from Sarasota, Florida, and my name is Shell. Hey, Shell. And I wanted to um, weigh in on something you said about the... uh, wolves and the foxes yeah 
I try to talk to people about watching the show. I try to talk to them about, you know, everybody that is friendly, like Malcolm X said, is not your friend. They're just doing that so they can get something from you sometimes. You have to know the difference between who is there and on your side, but people don't want to listen. They still talk to them about why you're still supporting uh, the NFL and other corporations that do you no harm. They don't want to listen. But they're still watching shows uh, when you talk about celebrities like Oprah Winfrey and others that don't have their best interests at heart. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to tell you about uh, this piece that I found on YouTube when we talk about the POC solidarity that doesn't mm-hmm. exist. Yeah. <laughs> I found this piece about uh, Bolivar County in Mississippi talking about Chinese people that came to that uh, county, started little shops. And their customers were black people. The question I had was, why did Chinese people come from China to start shops here and black people couldn't start shops themselves to provide food for their own people? Mm. There's no solidarity. They came here and they saw a need. They said, okay, slavery's over. Well, we see a need for picking cotton. We see a need for the stores. We're going to come here and we see that we're going to have an advantage over the black people. Yeah, of course. So... You know, and that's what they're still doing. But when I talk to people about why are you still patronizing these Asian stores, well, they're friendly. They're having a juvenile conversation about me. If Irony has time, uh, Google where I'm from. I'm from uh, the Lakewood Ranch area in Sarasota, Florida. When he Googles that, he'll know that there's no one that's a DOS that's around me. Mm. (laughs) Now, when I look at the neighborhood I live in, and everything is manicured lawns, but when I go where some of my family live, and there's old cars and rubber tires and bust out lights and all of those kinds of things in that neighborhood. And matter of fact, even the money in the wealthy neighborhood, they took some of the money that was supposed to go to the black neighborhood and for the swimming pool and the boys club, and they gave it to the other high school that was in the white neighborhood. Mm. And they had an argument basically saying, well, we don't think it would really be utilized in this area, which was a bunch of nonsense. So I just want to, I also looked up Boulevard County and see what's going on there now. It is 65% uh, African Americans and it has a 37% below the poverty line uh, rate. Still, But these Chinese people that started these stores were able to come there and get their family out of poverty, but black DOSs are still there in poverty. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Carla. I appreciate it. I don't know. I think, I think, I think, um, what, what does that say, I Aramis? Mean, she what, what, what's that? What's that? What's that? She said Lakewood, Lakewood. Lakewood, I looked up like Lakewood. A, what's that ranch or something? Lakewood Ranch. Um, it's in Florida, right? It's Lakewood Ranch, Florida. is a master planned community. What is a master planned community? That means we we made sure we don't have any Negroes. She slipped <laughs> in, and like it's a, it's not just a planned. She slipped community. in under the fence. It's a master planned community. Hey, <laughs> yeah. I never heard of no ma- like. Look master. at that wiki, like Wikipedia, like it says it's a it's a master planned community in southeast of Manatee County, Florida, United States. Built on what was a timber ranch owned by Milwaukee's youth, youth, Yulin family. See, the, the, the family owned the town. Master plan community. 
I mean, we can we can handle the regular planners. We need to make sure we do the, the final solution. <laughs> it does something. Yeah. I mean, I mean, oh, Lakewood Ranch. Man, she snuck in there. Let me read this letter from the uh, Freedmen's Bureau. We were talking about Go how ahead. we were talking about how, like, at the end of Reconstruction, black people were pretty much left to their own. This is the letter um, that was from the Athens Archive, from the Athens Freedmen's Bureau of 1868. I'll put it up and I'll read it. We, the undersigned freedmen, having learned that the federal soldiers are soon to be withdrawn from Columbus, feel constrained most respectfully and request in the name of the Lord to implore you not to leave us unprotected by federal troops. We firmly believe that the Almighty has ordained our freedom. But at the same time, we wish to inform you that if the federal soldiers are withdrawn from us, we will be left in a most gloomy and helpless condition. A number of freedmen have already been killed in this section of country, and from expressions uttered by prominent men in this community in civil life, we have every reason to fear that others will share a similar fate. We think our commander here might do better than he does, and we do know that there are men who would protect us if they had power. We therefore must humbly and earnestly pray you, General, not to leave us to the tender mercy of our enemies unprotected. Like, and then it signed 124 black people. First of all, think about the guts it must have taken to actually sign that letter. Put that letter, put your name on that letter. Well, uh, here's the thing. Harry Here, Watkins, the, don't leave us. Don't leave us. Here's the thing. I, you know... That's what that I, 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 I don't, you know, he mentioned God in that letter. And I don't know how effective you are at evoking God to the godless. Yes. I mean, I think you have to do your Lord's work, right? I don't, I don't think, because I don't like something that we tend to think is just like that these people who do this awful stuff believe in the same God that we do. And it's just like, they can't. Like, just understand that the people who are doing this stuff are godless. There's no need to evoke that. The only reason they show up, wherever they show up to church, is just for, for show. They're not showing up for you. They don't have any true, they don't have any true belief in anything. And, 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 and I, you know, it's almost like when I look at that letter, it's almost like the letter I saw where the women were talking about how their, the black women were talking about how their husbands and sons and brothers were just disappearing. And it was convict, it was like they were just taking them, convict leasing them, working them to death. And, you know, people say, well, you got free. No, we didn't because you didn't stay. The yeah, government we didn't stay. We've been terrorized for 100 years is what that letter says. And let me tell you, I had a, I had a great aunt die not, not too long ago, a few months ago. And she was talking, she said something about lynchings. I mean, not like, I mean, the KKK rolling through the neighborhood. When you have a person in your family who was alive and could tell you about this, <laughs> it ain't been that long ago. It hasn't been that long ago. These people who do this stuff, they have no morals. They have no religion. They have no nothing. Stop stop believing that they have something. They don't care. So, I mean, I think, yeah, I think they left us crap, you know, fish in a bear. I mean, just like, what are you going to do? How are we going to fight the KKK? How was that possible for us? It wasn't. It wasn't possible. So the letter I read was Athens 
Georgia in 1868. 1868. Don't leave us. Athens, Georgia in 1868. Don't leave us because if you leave us, they're going to terrorize us and they're not going to stop. And this picture I'm about to put up is Athens, Georgia in 1964. 1860 to the 1960s. 100 years. This is 100 years later. I'm sure that was a big difference. There's a big difference. This is 100 years. 1964, Athens, Georgia. Here you go. 1964. All my parents were alive. Like, this isn't that long ago. The people on the right side of that street, they're still kicking around. They're still owning stuff. They still own land. This is about to desegregate one of the burger spots in... in, about desegregating one of the burger spots in town. But yeah, don't think the people on the right side of this picture have left. Like, this is 1964. Everybody was still alive. Yeah. Yeah. And people say it happened a long time ago. No, and that's terrorism is what you're looking at. Yeah. These people had a government license and they had a building, had an office in town. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's America. That's not Athens, that's America. That's America. <laughs> that's America. So let's go to the next call. Let's take a couple. Let's take one more call. Oh, it's late. I didn't even realize it's late. Let's take one more call. Uh, oh, it did get late. I know. I'll take, I'll take a Hello? Hey, what's your name? Where you calling from? Hi. Um, this is Sarah. I'm from Dallas, Texas. And um, I'm 24. And I have $43,000 worth of student loan debt. Um, and I'm a descendant of a slave. Could so be worse. Just real quick. <laughs> Um, I think there's a lot of, like, confusion with the black community, like, in terms of what it is that you're talking about. It seems like you have a lot of new followers who don't understand (laughs) what you're saying. And um, I'm just going to shortcut. We have a labor problem in America, you know? Mm. Um, Everyone who's not cheap labor is getting the boot. Um, including working class white people. And blacks have always been underemployed. And we're literally the only people who can't leave. Like, we're stranded because we're so poor. Like, we don't even have a homeland. We're eight generations removed. Like, once everyone else is economically cut out, they can go somewhere. It's not us. Yep, we're screwed. So, like... (laughs) So that whole article about us being worth zero and like in 2053 is like, how come people don't understand that? Like I have a great aunt who died a couple uh, summers ago and she died poor. She's 89, you know, and she was the help for like a really difficult autistic white child and she died poor. And the only kind of inheritance that she got was some land from those white people. And she passed it down. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, we don't understand. <laughs> we don't understand wealth. Not because we never had like, We don't understand that we're going to be kicked out. Yeah, we, 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 like, part of, like, not understanding wealth is black people. Thank you, Carla. I appreciate it. Part of not understanding wealth is not understanding that. Like, we never had it. So, like, what you hear a lot of people when they talk about wealth, they just make stuff up. Because not only do they not have wealth, they don't know anybody that has wealth. So they're just sitting around making stuff up about what we you got to do. But the show has ended. Goodbye. <laughs> oh, well, isn't that special? <laughs> but no, no, no. But, but, but so I, I think, 
I think my question would be, she talked about her aunt, you know, great aunt dying at 89 poor. How can you not die at 89 as a black person poor? Like what, you know, for the most part, what opportunities have you had to, 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 to amass wealth? You haven't really had any. And that's the thing that we kind of won't face. Um, so, you know, we just have to, we have to own it. And just like, not as our responsibility, just as the truth of what it means to be black in America. So, and I know you had something you want to talk about before we leave. Oh, yeah. All right. So, yeah, we did it. We did it. We're going live, y'all. We're going live in a studio audience with a studio audience in Athens, Georgia. I don't think he's special. Nice. I, <laughs> I think it's fantastic. I, he's you been know, working hard. Well, I've been working. This is this was no small thing. So let me put up the flyer here real quick. We're going. We had a live studio. We're going to take some calls. This is going, happening on Friday. There you go. This is happening on Friday, September 22nd at 4 p.m. It's going to be live on my channel, The Funky Academic. Just put in my name in, uh, in YouTube. It'll come up. Go ahead and subscribe. Hit that little bell. And uh, Yvette's going to be on there. We're going to be yapping. Yep, yep, yapping to a uh, live studio audience in the middle of Black, uh, black Athens. Um, we're going to be talking. The theme's going to be on nonprofits and how they might not do what we need them to do. Because Athens is a town with 600 nonprofit organizations. And a black poverty rate that's over like 70%. So um, all these nonprofits, it's, it's not working for us. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. We're going to take some uh, calls. I mean, we're going to take some calls. We're also going to take some questions from the studio audience. So yeah, we're doing a live studio show. It's happening. So Set your calendar. So set your calendar for Friday. Um, 4 p.m. 4 p.m. And we're going to have a conversation. Some of you are earlier birds anyway. So, uh, Watch your kids. Your kids will get a lot. You'll have a lot to talk about. Yeah. 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 So, um, uh, uh, the Black Athenians is the first. The premier. Um, uh, Breaking Brown hub or Breaking yes. Brown, um, you know, Breaking Brown chapter. So, we're going to, you know, you can't start if you don't start it here. So, we'll start it here. Yeah. And if you want to drive into Athens, Georgia, drive in for the one uh, you can see. You can see it in the flesh. <laughs> All right. So we look forward to it, everybody. We're trying to do things and, and, and you know, um, some big stuff. Somebody said start later. Well, we got we got Monday and Wednesday at 9, so this is going to be a four. And if you miss it, you can always go to Army's YouTube and, yeah. and catch it later if it won't be live So um, for you. So that's, you know, that's good stuff. So everybody be sure, like I said, Monday, Wednesday 9, then you got Friday at 4. And that's on, I remember that's on Army's page, the Funky Academic. So just remember that. Okay. Over here, Breaking Brown, over there, and we're, gonna, we're doing things. So. Oh, yeah. And if you like what you're seeing right here on Breaking Brown, go to BreakingBrown.com. Kick in a few bucks a month. That's great. We want independent black media, and that means, you know, we need you to pay for it. <laughs> we need black media. Like, somebody asked for your email. I don't know what you're going to get out here. Oh, yeah. Army at TheFunkyAcademic.com. That's Army at TheFunkyAcademic.com. All right, Breaking Brown family, we're going to get out of here. Um, we'll try to take more calls next time. I don't know what the time is. I think calls. I talked too much. Yeah. Um, I think it was like four, but we didn't take it. But um, next Good time, because I know y'all got a lot to say. So I will see you. What's the day, Monday? Yeah, I will Monday. see you Wednesday at 9 or 19. You know. so, all right. All right, everybody. Take care. Hope you didn't have too many libations. Moderation is the key. <laughs>